Welcome to God, Yay or Nay. I'm your host, Noor Kidwai. I'm here to find out how we grow, transform, and become our best selves. How we create meaning in our lives. Come join me on my journey. Welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. This is your host, Noor Kidwai. Thanks for tuning in. My guest this week is Christian Della Huerta. Christian's an author. He tells us about his new book that just came out, and he's also a speaker at TEDx. It's a great episode. I hope you guys enjoy it. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And you can check me out on Instagram, at Noor Kidwai. I always appreciate the follows. Guys, we're part of the Comedy Here Often podcast network on 604 Records, so check them out too. But let's get into this week's episode, everyone. My guest this week, Christian De La Huerta. All right, welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. I'm here with Qu- Christian De La Huerta. Christian, thanks for joining me, man. Hey, Noah, thanks so much for having me. Oh, we're going to have a lot of fun. Um, I do want to get into your book. I just finished reading it and I, I loved it. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, I want to hear a little bit more about your story. And uh, please let my audience know because you do have a great story of uh, personal transformation that I think is very inspiring. So, uh, yeah, please let my audience know about your background. Yeah, so um, uh, I'm an immigrant. I came to the U.S. when I was 10 uh, from Cuba. Didn't speak a word of English. Um, and we lived in a really small redneck town in Georgia, so I, you know, which didn't take very kindly to foreigners. Um, and I was incredibly shy as a teenager. I can't tell you. Uh, I was okay one-on-one, but if you added a third human being, I like I clammed up to the degree that looking back on it, of course, I didn't do this intentionally, but I had a 4.0 grade point average in, in high school, except for one B my last year. And I know now that I, that I was sabotaging my, my GPA so that I wouldn't have to give the valedictorian speech. Oh, wow. Sad, but true. Yeah. Sad, but true. I just wasn't anywhere near being ready, you know, to speak in front of hundreds of people. Um, and so, you know, these days I'm a, you know, I speak all over the world. I've, I'm a TEDx speaker. And so, so that's, Part of my message is that all this, all, the, all these obstacles, all our past trauma, all of our fears can be overcome and transcended. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when did you kind of get into like the inner like work for the, like the transformation? Like when did that journey begin for you? Well, you know, I think it, it looked different ways at different points in my life. I was raised Catholic, you know, I'm one of nine kids. So Further evidence that the Vatican roulette is not very effective. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it didn't, you know, in my late teens, early 20s, I figured out that that religion didn't have room for me. Um, As I tried to reconcile my my spirituality with my sexuality. Um, And so my 20s, I I mostly, you know, devoted to my personal growth, my professional development. Towards the end of my 20s, I started searching and, you know, it's had a pretty enviable life. I had a nice cushy job, condo on the water, uh, sports car, are the Armani suits sought after socially, professionally. And yet it seemed like the more I had and the more that I was sought after that, that there, there was something missing. Like 
I kept thinking there has to be more. And, and what I landed on is that I had kicked out the baby with a baptismal water, you know, just threw it out. And so I had neglected a whole part of myself, an integral part of myself. Um, and so I began to explore spirituality, you know, more at this point, more, you know, looking into the East and Eastern religions, um, indigenous traditions, um, sh shamanism, um, new thought. Um, and so I, that's when I started the, my journey within. Oh, that's, uh, that's amazing. I think that's like something that like a lot of people these days do. Um, I, I came from Islam. That's uh, what I was born into. And I guess when I went into college and university, I had the whole idea of like, ah, you know, like these religions are kind of backwards, blah, blah, blah. And like I was in sciences. So like I kind of went down the atheist path, like how you were saying, like you just threw out the bathwater or the baby with the bathwater. And like all of a sudden you're like, ah, I don't need any of this. But all of a sudden you come back to spirituality. You get that call in, right? How did you, yeah. How did you reconcile your your own spirituality with, with your culture and the way that, that you were raised? Um, I don't think it was, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think it was like, uh, too big of a deal. Like, uh, my parents, I, I just never talked to my parents about it. That was a one big thing. And, uh, I don't know. I, I always had this kind of something inside me that like told me like the mind, like something about the mind, the mind is very powerful. And, um, I always believed that. So even when I did go through my like kind of atheist phase, like I was always meditating and I was kind of dabbling into yoga and stuff like that. Um, and then like, uh, I honestly, I think it was when I first tried mushrooms. That's when I was just like, okay, I need to like re really rethink this uh, whole thing. And that's when like all of a sudden I started going back to the spirituality thing. I never had a big issue with the uh, leaving the religion too much. Um, and plus, I, I'm still like with the religion, I, with my family. And like, I always kind of see myself as a Muslim still, but I don't really believe in any of the scripture too much, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, I, I find that uh, kind of amazing. So like uh, what when you were starting your transformation, like did you have like certain maybe that uh, like you said you were exploring all these different um, philosophies? Like so were there just different exercises and like uh, spiritual exercises that started coming your way? Well, I started, you know, like you in meditation, uh, breath work changed my life hmm. um, and, and allowed me to connect with the sacred in a different and, and more personal way, like a more direct way that I've had before. Um, so yeah, my first session of breath changed my life. I was on a track to get a PhD in psychology and I jumped tracks I, because it works so fast and heals so profoundly at so many levels. Yeah, no, that's actually pretty impressive. Like one whole, one round of breath work and you're just like, I'm out of my like PhD. Like it just works like that, eh? Yeah, yeah, and and you know, you know, referring in reference to your your mushroom experience, a lot of people report attaining some of the same levels, getting to the some of the same places that they get to with uh, sacred plant medicines, just using the breath. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, what can I ask you? What kind of like realization that kind of came to you at that point that made you make such a like drastic life changing decision? Well, it was just to see how quickly the healing happened. And, you know, I come out of the psychotherapy tradition. My dad was a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. 
and with all due respect, you know, in the right hands with, with clear goals, um, psychotherapy, psych, psychotherapy can be very transformational and very healing. And, you know, we both know that you could sit on somebody's couch for 10, 20, 30 years at a time and nothing really happens. The reason for that is that, you know, understanding up here, what happened to us when we were five or 10 or 15 is good, but often falls short of the mark because that trauma doesn't live in the mind anymore. It has been somaticized in the body. So no amount of talking is going to get to it. The, the beauty of the breath work is that it bypasses the mind and it goes into the source of where that trauma lives now and it clears it. Mm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about, like how powerful breath work can be. And um, yeah, I, I, I started working with ayahuasca in the last few years as well. And like, it, it I kind of get the same feeling with that, where you feel the medicine go into your body and you start looking at the trauma that's kind of deep in different parts of your body. And you're just like, wow, like, I can't believe it just gets stored so deep down there. And like, these things can kind of come and bring them out, which is uh, beautiful. Um, let's let us talk about your book, though. So your new book is uh, Awaken, um, Awakening the Soul of Power. And uh, it's part of your Calling All Heroes uh, book. Uh, so a trilogy, it's going to be right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so uh, calling all heroes. Uh, what what do you mean by that? Well, you know, we we tend to think of heroism as you know somebody who who places their their, their life at risk for the sake of somebody else, or you know for for a bigger cause for a community or something. COVID has kind of forced us to expand how we think of, of heroism. Uh, so now we include in that definition, you know, our healthcare practitioners, our doctors, our nurses, our respiratory therapists, who are really literally placing their lives at risk and making so many sacrifices in their personal life to take care of the rest of us. We also include in there now, um, you know, even grocery store clerks or delivery people. Um, but what about the rest of us? So, so what I mean by calling all heroes is like, how do, how do, how, what does it mean to live a heroic life in the 21st century? When we, we don't have the horse hitched outside and, and the armors and the demons to slay except the ones in, in our heads. And so this first book is like, how does, how does a hero uh, step into power right? in, in a different way, in a, in a way that is not about hierarchy, that is not about fear or force or control or domination, that it doesn't require for me to push anybody down, to step on them, to put my knee on their neck, uh, so that I prop myself up and feel powerful. So how do we do it in a different way? The, the second book is about relationships. You know, how, do, how do we attract and nurture relationships that, that can actually work from a, a conscious, intentional, spiritual perspective? Um, and then the third book will be on uh, life purpose and leadership. Awesome. And uh, yeah, I like that whole idea of power and like uh, understanding power in a different way. And uh yeah, and we'll get into the whole uh, idea of power in a little bit. Um, but like uh, another thing you talk about in this book is like kind of the hero's journey, right? It's like this is a kind of a journey we kind of all have to take and like understand in our life. Um, 
maybe if you don't mind, uh, maybe you can tell people what the hero's journey is. Like I know Joseph Campbell is probably one of the guys who talks about it, but this is like, this is a story that's almost as old as uh, humans, right? Like this is something we constantly, um, all of our stories has this kind of journey in it and like, it's kind of implanted in our heads. So yeah, maybe let us know what the hero's journey is. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a story that's been around since, you know, ancient uh, myths. Mm-hmm. Um, and so many of our great movies, like the Star Wars series, are based on the hero's journey. So you know, let's take your example. You, know, you, you abandon the comfort of family and community and, and religion. You abandon what was known to you. You put yourself at risk. So you got a calling. Something in your life wasn't working. Uh, a relationship didn't end up well. Something triggered that process of questioning, and then you went out on this journey. And so, and so in, while the hero is in, in their journey of exploration, you know, they have challenges, they, they, meet, they face villains. And, you know, in, in our case, you know, we face ourselves and, and our own, you know, own self-made prisons and, uh, you know, what I call a self-inflicted mind S, you know, the, the, the fears and the limitations of, 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 of the mind. And, and we experience transformation. That's the, you know that's the initiation, um, and in your case, you know your your experimentation with with psychedelics and mind expanding substances was part of that. Right? Like you're beginning to open up to the possibility of seeing the world and reality in a different way. Now you come back, and once the hero experiences that transformation, they come back and and share all that wisdom, you know, integrated with you know and share all that wisdom with the community which is what you're doing now through your through your podcast yeah yeah no i guess that's true and uh yeah and like the one thing i always loved about the whole idea of the hero journey is that um we have to be kind of called for it you get that calling and i i really love that uh just that whole idea because it, it works for all of us in our life like something's not working and we get that call in, which is usually just like a feeling inside of us that's telling us like, we need to change something, we need to do something. And usually that change or that doing requires some sort of leap of faith and like some and a step into uncertainty, if you will. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's shit scary. And like, it, it really, it really needs to like, I don't know, it, re- it really uh, takes a lot of courage. And that's probably where the whole idea of the hero comes into, right? Exactly. <laughs> but uh, so in your book, I, I think, because uh, we're talking about a hero in like 21st century. And I think a big part of it is um, you're trying to tell people that they kind of need to kind of look at their own uh ego for a little bit um that's kind of part of like what a lot of our journeys is, go- is going to be right yes yes and, and and the message is that we all have that hero inside and 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 it's and it's been calling us right and sometimes the call gets louder sometimes you know sometimes it's better to to answer when it's a whisper before it starts screaming and dragging us by the hair um, <laughs> Um, and so, because other times what we do is we just numb it out. If we, don't, if we are too comfortable or, or we allow fear to hold us back, then the only other possibility is to numb out the call, right? And, and to medicate it with alcohol or drugs or, or sex or shopping or uh, gaming or whatever, whatever ways, you know, the infinite ways that we use to, to run away from ourselves and our feelings and our truth. And, and, um, and that's not very effective. 
because that only gets worse. Um, and so, yes, your, your, your point about understanding the ego is critical. I do a lot of retreats on different themes, on relationships, on power, women's empowerment, life purpose, and others. And there are two constants, two things that I always do no matter what the theme is. One is breath work, because I've yet to come across anything that heals as profoundly and as quickly and in so many levels as, as, as that does. The other thing that I always teach about is the ego, because the ego, it's, I mean, you know, and, and there's a lot of confusion in the world about the ego. Now, most people who know the word will think arrogance. And, mm-hmm. and it is that for sure, but it's a lot more than that. Maybe if we took psych 101 in college, we might think Freud's model of personality, the id, the ego, the superego, and that's not what I'm talking about. There's things that apply, but it's the way that I'm talking about the ego is more derived from Eastern teachings. And, yeah. and it's a part of the mind that makes, that it's like, it synthesizes sensory information. It, it can reach into the past, project into the future, and somehow weave all of that into a coherent sense of self, like a sense of personality, of individual personality. This is Christian, that's more. Um, it's both a leap in evolution. You know, as far as we know, we're the only species that has a sense of self. Like when we can think of Homo sapiens sapiens, we can translate that as humans who know that we know, right? So it's that self-reflective consciousness that allows, allows us to think back upon ourselves. So both a leap in evolution and the source of all our suffering. Because when we developed a sense of self, of individual identity, what happened, you know, that was like the first split in consciousness, so, which, which was, you know, according to you know, experts like Ken Wilber was then mythologized all over the planet as the expulsion from the garden, right? That's mm-hmm. when we lost our connection um, because, you know, up until that point, we were at one with life, with creation, with the universe. Mm-hmm. And when sense of separate identity came in, now we can have you know, a sense of abandonment, we can feel lonely, we can have a sense of our own mortality. So that's the price we pay for individual identity. Yeah. And, uh, and I do love, uh, like, in your book, you do have, like, uh, a, like, a really good, like, representation of what the ego is, and, like, all the different manifestations it can take. Because I, I think when, um, even, like, if you start the journey of meditation, and they try to tell you to kind of understand, like, what's your ego and try to like, uh, kind of, you know, disidentify with your ego, which is a big part of what meditation is. Um, yeah, most of us would say like, we might think of our ego as arrogance or whatever. But like, it's funny how you can like the ego can go from anything from arrogance on one side, all the way to like, playing the victim, like completely on the other side. And you explain that beautifully in your book. And uh, yeah, maybe you can explain it a little bit more for our audience. Yeah, I mean, it's, and it's hard to explain that in a little bit of time. You know, when I do a weekend retreat, we spend a couple of hours and, and continue referencing back to the ego because it's really critical that we understand how it works and how it limits us. A great metaphor that that help understand is if you put a um, a football, you know, in, in the center of a stadium, that's what the ego is. Who we are is actually the stadium, and we've allowed this tiny, tiny, tiny part of who we are to think that it is all of who we are. And, and we end up making choices, big choices, you know, significant choices about, do I stay in this relationship? Do I go on that coffee date? Do I go on that job interview that might require that I move to another city? We make all these big choices from its very small and always fear-based perspective. 
So if we want to be free, right? Because the ego is also, it's all about reactivity. The ego is, and, and reacting, sometimes we think, you know, we react in the present to, somebody, to something that somebody said or did that we interpreted as hurtful or betrayal or whatever. And we think we're reacting to that, but what, what's actually happening is we're reacting to previous similar situations from our past in which we weren't able to, to stand for our truth to, or for ourselves or, or so it, it's, it's critical that we understand, you know, it, it's how it projects. Um, how it's it's so defensive, um, and the and the stronger that we develop our sense of self, which which we have to be able to go within and look at ourselves and, and face all of ourselves in order so that we can develop a really strong sense of who we are, so that we put the ego in its proper place rather than running the show and thinking that it is the sun, putting it back in its proper place in orbit around and in service to the sun. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, no, and I love that. And one thing I, I did like in your book, you like uh, you quoted Adha Shanti, which is a really good meditation teacher. I'm, I'm a big fan of. And uh, the one thing we're not, we're not trying to destroy the ego. There's no such thing as that. Like we can't survive in this world without the ego. It's all about disidentifying with the ego and understanding what it is so that it doesn't have control over you. Is that like a proper way of putting it? Yeah, that's my understanding too, Noor. There's there's some teachings, some spiritual teachings that say you gotta kill ego. You gotta annihilate it um, because it is the source of all our suffering. And that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, my understanding of it is that as long as we're in a body in this third dimensional reality, it's it's a good thing to have it because it's, it's that unifying principles that gives us a sense of who we are. And it's not all bad. So rather than getting rid of it, um, what we're going for is like you're saying is, is healing it so that we no longer react to when other people do to, you know, like get too close to one of our wounds, one of our unhealed wounds from our past, one of our buttons. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, nope. So I, I've had people push a button before. I know how it is. <laughs> it's the human experience. We all, we all have it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. And um, yeah, and that's true. I love the healthy ego and that this is uh, what I try to promote on this. Um, and I, I, I know like uh, when I, I talk about psychedelics too, and I, I always say like, we, we, these are medicines. They aren't like, uh, you know, they, these are tools that you should do seldomly and like really work on integrating your experiences. But I know some people look at them as something though, you take it and like kill the ego and like all of that will be good. And you're like, no, no, no. That I think that's a, I think that's a kind of a dangerous way to kind of look at it. <laughs> yeah. um, so I love this. So let, let's uh, talk about power now, because this is another big theme of your book. Um, and, I, and I love how um, you, I think you look at power, especially in the book as like self-empowerment is the main way to look at power and try to get that power back into your life. Is that what, that, is that a proper way I would be say, of saying it? Yeah, I think you, you, you framed it great that way. Um, and the thing is that most of us have an ambivalent relationship to power. Like we want it, but we're afraid of it. And, and the more that I do retreats and, and like dig into that and unpack why is it that we're afraid of it, I think it's ultimately deep down inside we think we're going to abuse it. And no wonder, like, right? We've, how many times have we witnessed abuse of power? And, and these days, all you got to do is turn on the news or read the morning headlines and 
multiple abuses of power. Um, and on top of that, we've been conditioned to, to think that power, that power is a bad thing, right? With phrases like power corrupts or absolute power corrupts absolutely. What, the, what they didn't tell us about that is that that quote was taken out of context and it was originally meant specifically for political power, not interpersonal power, which is what you and I are talking about. Mm-hmm. And so add to that mix the fact that we've also been conditioned to be afraid of the emotions. We are, we are terrified of conflict. We avoid confrontation, most of us. Not, not everybody, some of us are drawn to that. But put all that stuff together and what ends up happening is that we, we stuff ourselves. We, we sell out on our power. We end up giving our power away for illusion of security, for a false sense of acceptance, and for morsels of pseudo-love. And, and it doesn't work. It just doesn't work because we, when, we, when we keep stuffing ourselves and we keep saying yes, when inside we really feel no, that you know, it doesn't feel good and it's not good for, for, our, for our health, physical or mental or spiritual. So eventually those, those, what we're risking is not only health problems, or, or we react from after, you know, suppressing uh, too many things too long and we become frustrated and we start walking around like raging cauldrons of anger um, or else it starts showing up in physical symptoms. Yeah. And, and, and we know we, we end up selling ourselves and settling into a life of soul devouring mediocrity. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I don't know if you ever heard of uh, Dr. Gabor Mate, but uh, yeah, like he's kind of doing research on exactly what you're talking about right now, which is like people who don't take their own power, they're constantly pushing that shit down and it does create diseases. And now they have all these scientific links to like different diseases because of exactly what you're talking about. Like it is very important for people to take their own power and, um, and not let people walk all over them. You have to have that kind of power in your life. Um, So let's, let's talk about um, in your book, you have a, nice division between soul soulful power versus egoic power so um why don't you explain that to my audience a little bit yeah thank you yeah egoic power is obviously you no know, power the way that the ego interprets it the, the way the ego feels power i also call it worldly power so how how the world tends to view power and what is that right we, we tend to associate people who have power with money fame people who are high up in some kind of hierarchy, whether it's a corporate ladder or a religious hierarchy or whatever. But the the thing about all those expressions of power is that because they're outside of us, they're external to us, they're here today, gone tomorrow, right? And and that's another way that I think COVID is is helping so many people like reevaluate and who we are because so many of our identity was connected to what kind of jobs we did or what kind of company we worked for. And now we're seeing how ephemeral um, all of that is when it's outside of us, whereas the soulful power or spiritual powers, it's inside each one of us. And no one can give it to us and no one can take it away. We are the only ones who can give it away, who can sell out on it. Um, another, another good difference is, is, you know, a worldly power is kind of self-aggrandizing. So it's always like, and, and it always has an agenda. So it's always trying to grab something for itself. Um, and, and aggrandizing, you know, meaning like blowing itself up to, to seem bigger than it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
we don't have to look very far to look at political leadership that that's so you know dramatically embody that yeah and exemplify that um and um whereas in inner power spiritual power is is more about service about making a difference um so it's more selfless and it doesn't and it's humble it doesn't need to prove anything to anybody right it just knows so so think about Gandhi or Gandalf, um, you know, in the Lord of the Rings, you know, in, in their very simple monastic robes, their sandal feet, you would never know how much power they hold until it's needed. Mm-hmm. And then watch out. Like Gandhi brought the British Empire to its knees when it was at its highest point in terms of global reach without ever shooting a gun or landing a punch. Mm-hmm. That's power. No, that's... Uh... Oh, that's quite a bit of power. And uh, yeah, and I, I really do like that uh, whole idea of um, it is like a lot of humility in that power as well, right? Yeah. So the egoic power, like how you were talking about, it's a lot of external things like um, money and fame and stuff. Like the one thing I do like in the book you kind of talk about is like, it doesn't mean these things are bad. It means that you want to have that Um, soulful power first and then when you get these things you can be good in those positions of power you can get that external power and be a positive impact on the world so that's kind of the way you want to do it right exactly like you know money's not good or bad intrinsically power is not good or bad it depends on how we use it and what we do with it right In, in the same way that that a substance like you were talking about could be a drug could be, or it could be a medicine, right? Are we using it to, to go inside, to get to know ourselves better, to, to, to liberate ourselves, to connect with something greater for creativity, for expansion of understanding, or are we using it to numb out and, and not feel and to run away from stuff that we don't want to face in ourselves? Mm-hmm. Same substance could be two different things. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you talk about power plays in your book and uh, like, can you explain what a power play is and what uh, like what are these unhealthy ways that we do them? <laughs> yeah, you know, to me, the power plays were like um, manipulative um, ways, you know, that uh, power games, the ways that we that we use power in, in negative ways and not direct ways to get what we want. Um, and then, you know, I provide several, several examples of that, like um, like the bully. You know, to bully is a more direct approach and it, it is usually, um, you know, like exerting force or, or the threat of force. Um, and we, we, you know, to me, a great example of that is the, the U.S. When, during the first Iraq war, you know, when we had, after the attack on the World Trade Center, we had the goodwill of the entire world, like everybody, the entire world was like, oh, my God, and, and what can we do? And so that was a moment of choice, right? How are we going to use this incredible power uh, that this country has? And what do we do? We go out and invade a country that we had no business in, in invading and, and um, became global pariahs in, in the process. Um, and the thing about the bully, like we know the schoolyard, schoolyard bully, like you step up to them and they usually back down. Mm-hmm. So... So yeah, so that's one way, you know, uh, like the one, another one I call the aggressor, uh, no, the um, passive aggressiveness, mm-hmm. um, which is another power strategy. Um, you know, it's like I'm, I'm watching TV and 
you know, the, the spouse is in the kitchen. Hey, honey, can you come help me? And it's like, yeah, yeah, I'll be there in five minutes. Ten minutes later, hey, can you come help me? Yeah, yeah, I'll be right over. That's what I'm saying. But inside what I'm really saying is like, well, screw you. I'll, I'll come over when I'm good and ready. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> or, uh, yeah, go here's on. another great one. No, not tonight, honey. I have a headache. <laughs> yeah no that's true um and like the one thing i love about this whole power play is like uh in your book how you describe them it's like you it's a good way to actually like understand your ego i think too because like um you like you said the bully and this is an obvious one we all know the bully and we all know that's like a just a just a way of just like aggressively going for power or exerting your power but uh you also in the book like uh go back to like victimhood as well which can also be a way of manipulating people by like saying like oh and like getting people to do your um your will because uh you pretend to be this like victim and then you start to identify with this and like mm -hmm. I, I like that because like some people get that to the point where they start identifying with that victim so much that they can manipulate people with that and that's an also another form of power and there's an also another form of ego which is like I, I found that very interesting in the book because um it really you really showed all the different ways power and ego can play and it it, it comes from so many different things because when we hear power we immediately think aggression we immediately think um like arms and bully and all of that stuff but like it can play on that other side of the spectrum as well and i found that so cool yeah yeah well, it's, it's it's interesting that you picked up on that victim one because that is that is the toughest one for people to to see and to get um and and it is a function of the ego to be stuck in that poor me woe is me um and it, and it can work, right? We can get what we want by playing the victim. It's like, oh, honey, can you get me that? I feel so bad. Um, and so it works, but what a price do we have to pay for that, right? Like I have to make myself feel so bad and incapacitated in order to get what I want. There, there have to be more effective strategies. And, and the thing about that is, is like if we're, if we're on a journey of personal empowerment and being all who we can be, um, there's just, we can't. As long as we're holding someone or something outside of us responsible for our state of being, for our happiness, whether it's, you know, mom who did this or, or dad who didn't do that or the minister, the teacher, uh, the ex who cheated on us or the boss who fired us or, the, or racism or sexism or uh, homophobia or whatever it is, as long as we're holding anything outside of us responsible for our state of being, we just gave our power away. Yep. So it is the ultimate act of disempowerment. Yep. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, I, I really do think that's a way to like, um, I think that's an important thing to tell people right now. I, uh, I did it the same way. I'm a comedian. And uh, like, I would say like five, six years ago when my comedy career wasn't doing much and it was just kind of very stagnant. I constantly played the victim and made up excuses for why I'm not getting ahead. And um, that, like you said, you give away your power. And I did that. And I, and during those years, I kept that mindset. I didn't really go anywhere. I didn't do much. 
and it was like uh, a little bit of psychedelics meditation really was focusing on, hey, break out of this mindset. These are stupid, stupid patterns that you're that you're allowing into your life and like really give yourself that power back. And when I gave myself the power back is when I started making the changes myself and started actually being like, no, I can do it. And my career since like uh, gone in such a positive direction because of it. So I, I do love that in your book. Kick ass, man. And let's be clear, you know, before we move on for that, that, that we're not saying that we're not minimizing anybody's pain, right? Mm-hmm. Or anybody's trauma. Like the things human beings do to each other are sometimes horrible. Uh, so it's not, it doesn't make any of that okay. It doesn't mean that we have to hang out with anybody who did anything to us. Um, it just means that if 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 that if our identity, like you were talking about, if our identity has gotten connected with what happened to us, we have allowed, allowed ourselves to be imprisoned yet again, and we're still giving our power away to the perpetrator or whoever did whatever. Mm-hmm. Yep, a hundred percent. All right. So in the book, yeah, uh, and like you, when you do these retreats and everything, it seems like uh, you, a lot of the times you're focused a lot on like women and femininity and stuff. So, but you also have like a really great section in the book on masculinity which i think uh a lot of the men like would like really appreciate to read um so when you when we're talking about all these power of ego power and all this stuff and masculinity and femininity like can you tell us like what you kind of see in patterns that are kind of different between like uh, men and women at the moment and like how we need to like you know how we need to heal our power structures and our ego and stuff and what's kind of different between us yeah yeah great question uh Um, The book is for everybody, for sure, but it has a particular theme or or message for women uh, stemming from my belief uh, that I would say even conviction that the empowerment of women is the single most important thing that needs to happen in our world. And it's not to idealize women, it's not to put women up on a pedestal. Women are also capable of abusing power. But the, the, wor- the world has been so off balance hmm. uh, for the last you know, several thousand years in terms of the masculine and feminine energies that I believe that when women are in 50% of power, we'll have a very different relationship to, to all the issues that we face as a species, all the challenges. You know, we'll, have a, we'll treat hunger, war, poverty, uh, social injustice, even the way that we treat the environment will approach all those issues from a different perspective. Mm. So, so when I think about strategically, like what needs to happen in the world that that's going to impact, um, you know, other, other, other areas, that, that's my strategic approach, right? When we, and, and, and there's studies about this, right? If you like, if you want to bring up the, 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 um, you know, the, the financial empowerment in, in an indigenous society, that the first thing to do is to educate women. Uh, and so those studies have been proven and established. So, um, so that, and, and as horrible and unacceptable as the oppression of women has been over the last several millennia, um, men have also paid a price for that system, that patriarchal system of toxic masculinity. And, and here's what makes me say that. Um, the rate of suicide in the U.S., I don't you know, I haven't done the numbers for Canada, but the, in the U.S., men commit suicide four times as high, uh, as many times as um, as women do. 
And 70% of the suicides in this country are committed by white men, which is really interesting. Mm. Um, longevity, you know, in the US, women outlive men by five years. Worldwide is by seven years. So what's going on with that, right? What's the, the system is not working for men either. Mm -hmm. I think part of the reasons it doesn't work is that we've, we've gotten this mistaken idea of what it means to be a man. And, and that part of it is like, you know, like we walk around like robots, not feeling anything. And, and, and that's conditioned since we were little boys, you know, little boys don't cry and you gotta have a stiff upper lip. And so we, we hold everything in and, and not feel anything. And, and like what used to be spiritual teaching that everything is energy. Now we know from physics, from quantum physics, that it's true. Everything is energy, including the body, including the emotions. So when we suppress all that stuff, it just doesn't go away. Right? What happens is we stuff it and we stuff it and we stuff it. And then the next poor, unfortunate person comes back and rubs us the wrong way and we explode inappropriately. All that, you know, months or sometimes years or a lifetime of suppressing. And we cause harm to our relationships. Or we suppress it, we suppress it, we suppress it. And, and that energy has to come out somewhere. So then it starts showing up, like we were talking about when you were talking about Gabor, um, starts showing up in bodily symptoms, cancer, ulcers heart attacks, it has to come out one way or another. Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, yeah, no, that's, uh, that's interesting. Because like, uh, I do like, uh, think of that for like men, especially like, um, we do have like, a we don't really know how to feel our bodies or emotions and stuff like that. I, I've been like that. I know pretty much all my male friends have been kind of the same way. And then, yeah, so that's kind of our spiritual journey as well. And like, I, I know in the book, you talk about like being on retreats with like women a lot and um, in women, it seems like a main issue that you're kind of teaching them is like um, having a different relationship with power, right? And being able to say like, hey, it's okay to have power and this is healthy power. And that's kind of what you're teaching them. Yes, and, and how to reclaim it in a different way that is a match for who we are, right? And, and going back to the masculine and the feminine, the emotions, by the way, before we move on from that, the emotions aren't good, they're not bad, they're not strength, they're not weakness, they're just energy, right? And, and you know, we've labeled emotions feminine, and we've made the feminine weakness. We've compared, you know, we've, that's how we identify the feminine. It's like, wait a minute. Try giving childbirth sometimes, you know, that's pretty powerful. That's pretty um, incredible. I mean, talk about the power of creation. Um, that's pretty crazy. And, and I love, I'm not gonna do it justice, but you know, you would do it, you would say it much better than I do, but it's, it's, it's uh, from Betty White, who apparently they were speaking about, um, you know, why is it that we tend to associate courage or strength with balls? She said, well, those things are really flimsy. You just thump them and, and there goes the guy you know, bent over in, in pain. You want to talk power? Let's talk, let's talk vaginas. Those things take a pounding. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't expect Betty White saying that, but all right. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. No, and hey man, I, I agree with that. And uh no, I, I thought that was a really cool part of your book too. And like yeah, there is like a little bit of an understanding of like that masculinity and femininity and like really kind of understanding that. And uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I really do think that's cool. Um, all right, so uh, we got a little bit of time left in this. And so the last part, I, I really wanted to get into breath work a little bit more. Um, yeah, I, I think this is starting to become like a, 
a cultural phenomenon, eh? Like I, I noticed a lot of people are talking about breath work and a lot of people have made like a tremendous transformation in their life because of that. So um, let, let's, uh, in, their, in your TED talk, and you, uh, I hope everyone check out your TED talk because you have like an amazing TED talk just on the power of the breath in, in itself. And so like, maybe you can tell us about breath and emotions and like the connection between these two. Well, it's, it's, it's what we're talking about, right? When we suppress all those emotions, um, they just don't go away, right? So, so they're, they're energies um, and they just don't dissipate. So they get lodged in the tissues of the body and, and all the past trauma, right? All, all the situations that we never really worked through or healed, including the moment of birth, which is traumatic for everybody concerned. Um, you know, it's like all that trauma we carried in the body and all those years and decades of suppressing our emotions. What happens is we start walking around with layers upon layers upon layers of unsuppressed uh, emotional crap. And then here we are trying to have a relationship in the present moment. And it's all getting filtered through that layers of emotional crap. So it doesn't surprise me that the majority of marriages end up in divorce. What surprises me is that 100% don't. Because we haven't been taught, you know, how to approach relationships consciously. So we approach them from a place of need. It's like, oh, my God, if I could have them, then I would be fulfilled. Then I would be happy. But forget it. There isn't anybody out there that's going to make us happy. And, and how unfair to put that responsibility on somebody else. Like, mm -hmm. so, so it's not their job, you know, right? That's our job to make ourselves happy. So for, for all those reasons, it's... it's the breath to me is, is what I have found that, that clears all that lifetime of suppressed emotions and, and unhealed trauma. And I think you're right. I think it, it is following you know, the path of yoga and meditation in terms of becoming much more mass conscious. And, and I think COVID, ironically, you know, because it doesn't allow us to breathe. And, 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 and the, the systemic racism in this country, at least, I know it's not just exclusive to this country, but you know, the I can't breathe riots, I think are very timely and symbolic mm. because the breath is a solution to that. Um, and I don't know, I don't think we had, the science is there yet in terms of explaining how breath work works. Because in addition to healing trauma, emotional trauma, it also heals physically. And I know that sounds too good to be true. For my scientific, you know, skeptical mind, that part of me, like even 30 years into it, it still sounds too good to be true. Like, how does that work just from breathing? Mm -hmm. um, and the only thing, so goes back to, to the spiritual part, part of it. The only way that I can understand that makes sense of that for me is that the fact that in the majority of religions and spiritual traditions and even in some secular languages in the world the same word one word can mean spirit or breath depending on how we use it so that's how i've come to understand the power of the breath mm -hmm. yeah and uh yeah no, i think that's true spirit or breath and uh yeah and like uh just from like i i've been studying yoga for years too and like um and they always tell you to like watch your breath and like see how it changes throughout the day and like all those changes you start to see like uh and like uh whenever you get scared or something you start breathing through your chest and do very shallow breathing and it's like a completely different mindset but if you breathe like a deep breath into your belly and like 
how uh, different and how much more you get into your body and stuff. Um, yeah, it's very, uh, it's very interesting, right? And uh, you were talking about, because uh, you were talking about, I think, um, how like our, our brains, like even our amygdala, um, how we get into like fight or flight and stuff and how that even changes our breath, right? Yeah, did I get into that in the book? Oh no, the TED talk. In the, the TED talk, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do we have time to get into the amygdala hijack to explain? Yeah, that? sure, sure, please. Okay. Um, so, 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 yeah, this is a really interesting thing because it kind of it helps us understand why we react and why we do the things we do from a different perspective than the ego, right? The ego suppressing itself and being so defensive. And so self-righteous that's one prism this is a different prism and we tend to think of of the brain as one brain when in reality we have three brains so we have the the you know the mammalian the the, the reptilian brain at the core you know which is the the center that ensures survival right so it, it keeps us breathing it regulates the heart it regulates temperature all that kind of thing develops in us from age zero to 18 months above that is the mammalian brain the center for the emotions develops in us from two to six. And then the neocortex, what, what we tend to think of as the brain, which is the, uh, the center of abstract thinking and thinking and logic and all the things that make us so smart, um, develops in us from zero, to, I mean, from six to, um, we used to think it was into the teens, now we know it's into the twenties. So for those of, of your audience who have teenagers, have fun with that because their brains aren't even fully formed yet. Um, on either side of the brain um, and connected to the, to the limbic system, to the survival mechanism um, and to the emotions are two little glands called amygdalas that are, um, that are responsible for survival, right? So, so they, when, the way it works is when sensory information comes into the body, it comes first to the hypothalamus, which is like a, like a router, like a computer router that sends that information simultaneously to the thinking brain and to the amygdalas. The pathway to the amygdalas is the shortest. Uh, so the amygdalas receive that information first. And when they interpret that information as threat, they respond in three very predictable ways, right? Fight, flight, or freeze. And so it's a good thing to have amygdalas because they, they, they ensure survival, but there are a couple of problems with the amygdala. For one thing, they're really, really fast, um, but they're not very accurate. Um, and we've also, they also have gotten confused. So when they interpret threats that are not a threat to our physical survival, like you, know, you and I are just having an argument, to the amygdala is, is danger, danger, danger. And so they go right into fight, flight, or freeze. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the problem, the further problem is that at the same time, they shut off communication to the thinking brain. So now we're like in DEFCON 1, you know, like waiting for this huge attack and we can't even think straight. Yep. So that's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. That's a problem. And so, but the thing is our grandmothers knew into, so that's called the, the amygdala hijack, right? So the amygdala hijack, our ability to choose how we're going to respond to the, to, the, to the threat or to the the situation and they just go into those reactive modes our grandmothers knew intuitively what to do about this even before we understood that the the brain the the brain science which is only like 30 years old Uh, what would they tell us right when 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 you get upset count to 10 oh yeah 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 the amygdala hijack 
lasts eight to 10 seconds. Oh, really? Yes. I mean, once, so once the biochemicals are released into the body, then it takes longer you know, to go back to normal. But the, the actual hijack is eight to 10 seconds. How do they know that? What else would they tell us? Take a breath, right? There, there's swamis in India that have that much control over their body that they can tell the heart to slow down and the heart will, right? They can actually mimic these states that are death-like, that sometimes you can't tell whether they're death or alive, dead or alive. Most of us aren't there yet, right? And, and we'll probably never have that kind of control over our bodies, but anybody can slow down the breath. Anybody can, right? And, and when, what happens when we slow down the breath, all it takes is a choice and a little bit of self-discipline. When we slow down the breath, take slow, deep breath, the heart has no choice. But to slow down, it has to. It doesn't have a choice. When the heart slows down, the body begins to relax. The nervous system begins to quiet down. Mm. And so, again, it all goes back to the breath. Yeah, so powerful. No, yeah, thanks for explaining that. I really uh, I really do like that. And I think that's uh, good for people to hear and, and understand, like, hey, when, you, when something like that happens and you get straight into an emotional response, like, take that step back, take that breath, like slow it down and like allow your thinking brain to come back on and like be able to just kind of look at the situation and be like, how do I really want to react to that? Right? Exactly. But you gotta, you gotta do it quickly, right? Cause it's eight to 10 seconds. So you gotta do it before you go with a waterfall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good, uh, good, uh, good way to look at it. <laughs> so, so how do we know, right? How do we know? We all know what it feels like when we're about to get upset or when we're about to freeze and, you know, like a deer with, a, with the headlights kind of thing. Um, that's the moment of choice, right? When, the, like you were talking about, that we stop breathing or, or take short, deep, short, shallow breath. We get flushed, our hands get sweaty, our hearts start palpitating. Those are the symptoms, right? We all know what it feels like. At the first sign of that, that's the moment of choice. That's when we get to press pause, slowing down the breath. And, and asking questions, that's another great practice so that we can reestablish that thinking brain as quickly as possible. Um, so ask questions of the other and hopefully they're le legitimate. Well, can you help me understand why, why you feel that way? Hopefully I really wanna know, but even if I'm just buying time, buy time. Um, and then ask questions that are also gonna be more self-directive and, and, and give us the opportunity to learn from the experience, right? Because who's the common denominator at every one of those upsets? It's us. So what's, what's up with that, right? Why do those things get up upset? What are, the, what are the things they do bother us when I could have a different reaction to the same type of, of situation? So what's going on with that? And, when do we, and why do we keep attracting patterns uh, of relationship and behavior? Uh, so, so, so asking questions like, what was my role in it, right? How did I get to the situation again? Because right? it's not the first time I've been here. Uh, with this actor or a different actor is the same boring play. Mm -hmm. um, and, so, and so then we can begin to understand what, what triggers us. We can understand our patterns of behavior so that in understanding, with understanding comes freedom mm -hmm. and choice. And yeah, and like it comes all back around. You're giving yourself the power, right? So uh, exactly. that's exactly it. So uh, no, I love that. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Christian. So I, I got to ask you the question of the podcast. It's the name. So uh, Christian, God, yay or nay? <laughs> Depends on what you mean by God. <laughs> oh, like honestly, I the, I the reason I asked the question is for people to kind of give their own interpretation or whatever they want to say. 
some people don't uh, some people are very spiritual but they hate the word god so they say nay right away right no i don't have a problem with the word god but if but if you're talking about a an old man you know bearded bearded white man with robes and a choir of angels and you know punitive and micromanaging like busybody uh, <laughs> busybody god then i'm an atheist <laughs> but if you're talking about the intelligence of the universe if you're talking about call it whatever you wish you know call it creation of which we're a part of which we're an expression um then of course mm -hmm. of course um i think yeah. i would probably qualify in this um spiritual not religious uh, yeah <laughs> yeah that's uh usually uh on the bios of all the girls on tinder so spiritual <laughs> not religious so <laughs> it's something i think i'm probably a part of as well but uh <laughs> yo thank you so much christian this was a lot of fun um please uh, let people know about your book read it everybody this was a this is a really great book and check out your ted talk but uh where can they get your book and anything you want to promote uh feel free to do it now yeah thank you so much Nora. thank you so much for having me i had a great time and you asked great questions and it was a easy and natural conversation um and i know you and i could keep on talking <laughs> uh they can get the book anywhere books are, are you know are sold amazon to your local bookstore um and everywhere in between um and my website is soulfulpower.com. Um, and if they add slash free guided meditation, um, and that way they get on my email list, um, and I will send them um, a great meditation on trust, a guided meditation with, with a teaching on trust um, that's very helpful, and some other goodies that they will also appreciate. Oh, that's really nice of you. Uh, all right, Christian, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. All right, that was another episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And share it with like-minded people. I really do appreciate that. You can check me out at NoorKidY on Instagram or check out my website, NoorKidY.com. You can see my comedy. You can see my comedy dates that are coming up and all that other information. We're part of the comedy here often, Podcast Network on 604 Records. But I'll see you next time on another episode of God Yay or Nay.